Welcome to the Red Shirts Fantasy Football Podcast with your hosts, Ken Wyrock, Matthew Betts, and Matt Okada. Welcome in to another episode of the Red Shirts Fantasy Football Podcast. This is your host, uh, this morning, Matthew Betts, joined as always by Matt Okada, and uh, this is a little unusual for us here, recording on a Saturday morning, but I've got a very special guest who we wanted to get on on the show, so we made a couple of adjustments, and I made Okada wake up at the crack of dawn this morning for, for you all. Um, so Okada's very sleepy this morning, I imagine. Is that true, Okada? Uh, oh, actually, I'm feeling a little bit more chipper than I expected to this morning. All right, good. Yeah, so... We'll see how intelligent I sound, but uh, I'm awake for now and uh, ready to pod. Yeah, maybe you should adopt this new lifestyle. You'll get more more done on your Saturday. It's going to be fantastic. I <laughs> doubt it, but we'll see. <laughs> Absolutely, man. So uh, June for us is definitely Dynasty Month here on the Red Shirts Pod. You know, we're gonna we're gonna switch to more of a redraft focus probably in July and August as the season gets closer. But um, it's the time of year that we've got to talk a lot about rookies and and dynasty strategy and all that good stuff. And when we put together our guest list for this month, there was one guy that I said we have to get him on the podcast because, in my opinion, he's one of the the best up and coming analysts out there, and he's gonna be much more popular this time next year. I guarantee it. That is Mr. Nick Whalen. Nick, how are you doing this morning? Uh, you're building me up too much, so I, I feel better now than I did like 10 seconds ago. Um, but uh, no, thanks for having me on, man. I, uh, you know, I, I, we interact quite often on Twitter and even off air. Uh, so no, I was honored. I, uh, um, I don't mind the Saturday mornings, so I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm psyched and ready to go. So I'm, I'm glad that you know Matt got a good night's sleep, so we can just uh, make this the best <laughs> podcast ever. Absolutely. Let's go. Um, and, and for those of you who aren't familiar, uh, Nick and I write together over at Fanium Fantasy. So, Nick, go ahead and just kind of give us a rundown on what you're doing for Fanium, you know, what your work entails there. And then after that, go ahead and give us kind of a rundown on what you like to do for fun and give us just a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Um, so right now, well, people previously probably remember me from, you know, I was at DLF and I was at DTC and, um, you know, I think that's kind of the, I, I wrote on Matt Waldman's blog for a little while, but um, so my Devry report and graduates, uh, my two publications that take over my life, um, more time and nights of not interacting with people and, you know, being a loner and early mornings, you know, um, those are the things that I've produced the last, uh, well, graduates, this is year two, but uh, Devry report, I think it's year five. Um, those are going to be exclusively at Fanium now. So those are the, the two big things. But then, you know, any article, um, and now we're doing a lot of video stuff, which is really cool. Uh, it's a different type of platform to use. Um, that's all going to be at Fanium. So, uh, it's, it's exciting. It's cool. And plus, um, Grant, you know, the owner and a bunch of the other guys, I mean, it's, uh, it's super well run, but there's so much excitement that, uh, I jumped in, uh, you know, decided to not be solo anymore and join a team. Plus, they can, like, you know, make all my stuff better. So, you know, I, I figured why not. Uh, in terms of me, um, I don't know. I, uh, I'm i religious, so I say this. But I think I've had a pretty blessed life, honestly. Um, you know, I have uh, I was a student assistant uh, football coach at college for a few years. And then I did high school ball and I 
volunteered at a few places. So I got a lot of college football experience and that's what kind of led me into the, um, I don't know, I guess analysis. And then Ryan McDowell kind of found me and then I started my writing career there. So that was pretty cool. Um, other things, I mean, I like to run, I like to work out. Um, I do Spartan races that we were talking about earlier, which, you know, people, <laughs> the, the, the best part about that hobby, by the way, is like, um, when you do a workout and, and you're like carrying stuff or, uh, like one time I was running on this trail and I have to, uh, one of the events is a bucket carry. They call it bucket brigade. So you're carrying like a 50, 60 pound bucket and, you know, think of like a five gallon bucket from Home Depot or whatever, right? Filled with rocks. And I'm carrying this and like, you know, you can't run with that. You know, you're, you're going as fast as you can, but I'm like, you know, going and shuffling along and like this, like mom with, you know, the running stroller, you yes. know, and she's got like the kid and she's got like a dog too. She's like running past me and she's like, so sincere and sweet. She's like, do you need help with that? And then, and then she realizes I'm training. Oh, oh, okay. You know, like it's just, it doesn't look normal. So, you know, I guess overall, when you think of like the writing and what I do, it's not really a normal life, but I guess it's what I lead. That's a perfect uh, example of kind of summarizing what that would entail, I imagine. Uh, Okada, maybe you should start. Uh, maybe you should start doing that with your free time. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. I'm a hundred percent down as long as we can do five pounds in the bucket instead of fifty. Yeah, then you're in. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's awesome, Nick. Thanks for that that background there. You mentioned everything is going to be on Fanium as far as your work. Um, if our listeners want to be able to purchase, you know, the graduates or the W report or both, which I think they should, uh, where can they find that at? Yeah, so that's all through Patreon right now on Fanium. So the, the the cool part is I know there there was some pushback because people, you know, they want to buy just each of them or buy them as a combo. I started doing that stuff last year. And and in Patreon, you know, it's, it's a monthly thing. And they're like, well, I don't want to pay, I don't know, whatever it is, a year, you know. And I'm like, well, you could buy it for like a month or a few months and just see what's going on. So it's like you're not just getting what I produce. You're getting, you know, your stuff, Matt. You're getting, you know, George's stuff. Like everyone who produces anything plus my stuff for, I don't know, I think it's like five or six bucks a month. It's like that, that's actually a better deal than like what it was before. So, you know, I try to talk people into that. I, I know it's, it's kind of tough, but so instead of spending, you know, 10, uh, 18, 20 bucks, you spend six bucks and now you get more stuff. So, you know, it's kind of a yeah. win-win. Yeah, it definitely is a, a very good deal. So go ahead and check that out. Uh, Patreon.com slash Fanium. Uh, that's where you can find all of Nick's work as well as on Fanium.com. Uh, let's go ahead and kind of kick things off here. We're going to get into some exciting information. But before we do, uh, Okada and I have a, a new sponsor that we want to try to talk to you all about, and that is Yamble. Yamble is the brand new sports prediction app that lets you predict what will happen on the next play or next few minutes of a game. Place your takes on the game and rack up points as they pay out. Highest scores get paid out in real cash every game. It's kind of like HQ Trivia, 100% free to download and play, with payouts each game. Just search Yamble on the App Store or Google Play. They're running games every night during the NBA playoffs, so download now and start yambling. That's Yamble like Gamble with a Y. We are going to go ahead and post a custom link for you know a referral from the Red Shirts on our social media platforms, on, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, and as well, we're going to put it in the show description from today's episode, specifically for Game 5. So, Kata, I know you and I are going to be yambling, which that's now a verb, um, and hopefully Nick will join us too. And we hope that you all can join us as well. Uh, we're very excited to partner with those guys over there. 
All right, Okada, let's go ahead and get into the news. I got great news, guys. Oh, oh got news. All right, so we got to kick things off with big time news. Uh, according to Tom Pelissero of the NFL Network, quote, barring any further developments, there is every reason to believe, end quote, that Tyreek Hill is back with the Chiefs before the start of training camp. Nick Okada, what is happening in Kansas City? How How is Tyreek Hill going to be on an NFL field? Well, First of all, we really still don't know that he is, at least not for the entirety of this season. Uh, this news came out of the conclusion of the criminal investigation, which you remember had been reopened after previously being closed because that audio came out. So that's now over with, but Child Protection Services, which took the kid from both parents a while back, they still have an investigation going on, which might turn up different uh, results. And the NFL, specifically Roger Goodell, who, by the way, I happened to see at a, a party for the NFL Network the other day. Did you say hi? <laughs> uh, totally. Let's just say I was brave enough to do that. Uh, but anyways, he has said that the NFL is not going to press forward with their investigation into Hill and the whole situation until Child Protective Services gives them the go-ahead to uh, interview the parties involved and, I guess, press forward from the NFL side. So... There's still a very good chance that the NFL will suspend Hill for this. And then we still don't know what the Chiefs are going to do. I mean, we saw what they did with Kareem Hunt last year to cut him pretty much immediately after that video released. And I've talked to a few people around the NFL network who kind of think that the Chiefs maybe learned their lesson from that, watching Hunt go and get uh, signed by another team after thinking he was, you know, untouchable. So we don't know for sure what's going to happen with Hill. But there's still a lot of different ways that this could go. It is com- totally not over yet. Yeah, and, and I think the thing that we need to think about here is, you know, in Dynasty, a few months ago when the news came out, and of course then the audio, everyone said, just sell for anything. Get something for Tyreek Hill. At this point now, you know, Nick, what is your opinion? Are you going out and trying to get Tyreek Hill back if you've sold him or going out and try to acquire him for the first time? And how does this affect Sammy Watkins? Um, No, that's a, that's a good question. And... Uh... And I agree with Matt. I mean, it's it's so sticky. I mean, Goodall can do whatever he wants to do with the situation. Do you remember Zeke? Like, literally nothing, like, happened or was guilty with Zeke still suspended. And, you know, I know that uh, there's different levels to this. If there's a video, apparently, it's way more important than if there's not a video. Like, that's, like, the biggest deal. So, that's the only thing going for him. But it's a kid. People have big heartstrings for kids. And... If it was to a woman, a woman versus, you know, being a man. So a little kid, I mean, I think that's an issue and you could hear the audio and it just sounds terrible. Um, and so for me, I think he's, I mean, I've heard people like, Oh, it'll probably be like six games. I think there's no way it's under six games. I think, I mean, you got not just suspension, you have exemption list. I mean, there could be lots of things that happen. So, you know, the, this, this information of they're going to wait to hold their investigation. Yeah, you can go to training camp. Doesn't mean you're going to be playing week one. You know, if you think he's playing week one, I think you are out of your mind. That that takes away, you know, the exemption list, the suspension, and possibly being released. It's tough that the Chiefs already set that precedent. Because now it's like, okay, you're going to go back on that now? And it's a kid involved? I mean, that's tough to see. But when you want to look at value, yes, I traded for him. I was one of those people that went out. I think I gave up. DK Metcalf and something else to get Tyreek back when this was kind of going on. And 
I think it's it gives you a little sliver of hope. I mean, he's going to play in the NFL again. You know, people look at like Ray Rice. Ray Rice wasn't good. Like, that's part of it. Like, why bring on the headache and he's not good? That's why they, I think people kind of let him go. But he's going to play again. It's just when. Like, it might be 2020, you know. Um, but I think it affects everybody. So there's a chance he plays, let's say, half the year this year. You know, five games, whatever. That affects Sammy Watkins, if he can ever stay healthy. That affects the Miko Hardman. You know what I mean? Which, which people were only, and I'm sorry, people were only taking Nico Harden because of situation. This is why you do not only draft on situation. My goodness, people wake up. Situations change all the time. And so now all of a sudden they're like, oh, I shouldn't have taken him sixth overall in my rookie draft. Yeah, you shouldn't have done that. And so now, you know, and, and, and I actually picked up Byron Pringle because, you know, he had that OTA and whatever. And I, and I actually traded him and I could talk about this later because we're going to talk about running backs and he got caught. Like, after the Tyreek news came out, he got cut. So, it's like, look at the situations. I know people love those lotto tickets, but it changes things. So, I think Sammy down, Nicole down, um, you know, Tyreek up a little bit. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And, and I completely agree with you. You know, we all spend so much time, some more than others, uh, making this pre-draft process part of what, you know, we do from a scouting standpoint and from fantasy standpoint. Um, and if you're going to throw all, all of that out the window just for landing spot, why are you wasting your time is, is kind of my opinion. So I agree with you there. Let's go ahead and move on to the second piece of news here, which I am so happy about as an Eagles fan. Carson Wentz locked up for four more years worth $128 million. Fellas, I'm not going to lie. When I saw this news, I threw my phone in the air and jumped for joy because I love Carson Wentz. Um, I'm very excited about him not only for dynasty, but also, you know, real life as a fan. So um, what do you all think about what this does for Carson Wentz's dynasty value, especially in a super flex league? Well, first of all, I think it was a great move by the Eagles. Uh, they lock up Wentz well ahead of the time that his rookie contract was going to run out. Uh, so they have two more years of that left, and then this kicks in. And by the time that rolls around, this might look like a bargain, honestly. I imagine there's going to be at least a couple more guys, Goff and uh, Dak being primary among them who are going to get paid big time before then, probably more than this, at least on a per-year basis. So he, the Eagles make out pretty well from that standpoint. Uh, from a dynasty standpoint, it's it's got to be good for Wentz. It means the Eagles are committed to him. They believe in him long-term. I don't think they're too scared of the injuries. There's a lot of guaranteed money. I think over $107 million total guarantees and 66 of that fully guaranteed at signing. So the team clearly believes that he is their long-term answer. They're... They're not too concerned about losing Nick Foles. Uh, they believe Wentz can actually make it to one of these playoffs and carry them uh, all the way through. So I like him for the real NFL and for Dynasty. Yeah, no, I, I agree because I think it takes away another question mark. And that's what you want to do when you're a contending team. And as a Bears fan, you know, the, the, it hurts a little bit just to talk about the Eagles even now. But, you know, <laughs> I, it, you want to take away any of those question marks. You know, people in the last years of their deal, I know they might play better, but, you know, it's in the back of people's minds. And when you can solidify, hey, you know what? We want to keep contending for a while, and we're going to be behind this guy. It's just good for the whole organization. And, and yeah, you're right. That that number could be better uh, when that you know those years kind of come to fruition. But um, the injuries scare me. That's the only thing with Wentz. I mean, the, the the new age thing with the Rams, with the Chiefs, the Bears did this, the Eagles did this, the Browns look like they're doing it, and the Colts this last draft. You surround your young quarterbacks with tons of weapons, tons of things all over the place. The Eagles just traded for Deshaun Jackson, which I, I actually didn't like the move because he has a bigger contract, not this year, but next year, and it's guaranteed. But they don't care. 
They want to give you as many weapons as possible to create mismatches. And so when you want to look at it from a fantasy perspective, I mean, how do you not buy Carson Wentz? They just added Arcega Whiteside. They still got Jeffrey. They got Deshaun. Aguilar's probably gone. I get that. You have the two best tight end tandem in the league. You know, you had Sanders. I mean, they're continually doing that. And everyone's trying to figure out which piece of the pie, you know, who's going to be the best. Go invest in Wentz. He's the one that's running that whole show. And that show has been pretty good. Yeah, he... He definitely has a embarrassment of riches, I'll say, at, at the receiving tight end and running back course there. So tons of talent, and you have to love what that does for Wentz. You kind of mentioned the injury, so I'll definitely touch on that. I think this bodes well for his recovery from that stress fracture. I talked about that in my article for Fanium, and I said, look for a long-term deal to get locked up this summer, and if that happens, they're not concerned about his back because obviously you don't invest this kind of money at this stage when he's coming off of an injury, unless you're confident that it's going to heal. And I've been confident in that all off season. This speaks that that is likely going to be the case. So we just need to hear them say basically, you know, yes, that stress fracture is 100% healed. Um, I think what he does in the next month and a half to two months is really going to speak to that. And, and I have no reservations that he'll be ready to go for week one. Another couple of bits of information here from a news perspective, which we can kind of just skip unless you guys have anything else that you want to talk about. Uh, Austin Safarian Jenkins was released from the Patriots, and Terrell Pryor is apparently still in the NFL. He signed with the Jaguars. Uh, Matt, Nick, do we care at all? Uh, I mean, this has to tell us that the Jaguars are concerned about their signing of Nick Foles and need a new quarterback in Terrell Pryor, baby. <laughs> uh, oh, man. No, just kidding. Uh hardly anything at all from this news maybe matt lacoste gets a dynasty bump uh tied in for the patriots with asj out of the way but i don't see much value in either of these guys I, yeah i mean for a little while the asj of two years ago with the jets you know and then he goes to the patriots but you know i hope he enjoyed his cup of coffee you know but I, i'm cutting him for my teams now he gone yeah 100 percent. all right let's kick it back to vets for some injury news doctor doctor give me the All right, fellas, NFL Network's Ian Rappaport says Todd Gurley's days, quote, as a straight up every down bell cow are probably over, end quote. Okada, have you heard those words before? You know, I think I have, Betts. Where have you heard them? Uh, I believe from uh, the mouth of Matthew Betts. That's right. And also, <laughs> by the way, from just about everywhere else on fantasy Twitter and the community in general, I feel like we've all been saying this now. Uh, for months, since the playoffs, pretty much. I is this really new news at all? Haven't we been expecting this? So, uh, yeah, I don't know if it moved the needle much on Gurley for me. Yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of why I put this on here is, you know, let's, let's pump the brakes a little bit. This really isn't news. I mean, I've been saying it for a while, multiple times. I'm pretty sure that direct quote on this podcast or other forms of it and, and kind of being very vocal about that, that, yeah, listen, those days are probably over, but we talked about it a lot in our last uh, episode two weeks ago about um, the fact that he can still be super effective on less of a workload than what he had um, last season and the year prior. So, Nick, I'm going to kick it over to you. I know that you're a very big fan of uh, Darrell Henderson there for the Rams. Um, does this change your opinion on him or Gurley or any of that situation, or is this just kind of a, a mute point for you? I mean, it's the... Here's what I don't get. Okay, so the the end of last season happened, you know, and people were starting to discount Gurley. And it seems like anytime anyone says anything in the news, he continually goes down. It's like, but it's the same 
news. Like, his knee didn't fall off, right? Like, you know, <laughs> and, he, and, and I actually just talked about this yesterday with somebody on Twitter. You know, so even after the, the knee arthritis, you know, and they want to talk about like degenerative, you know, tons of players have arthritis. R- running backs, the more wear and tear you get, the, the worse your knee's going to get. It's not like this is like only Todd Gurley deals with this and Le'Veon Bell's 400 touches the other year don't even matter now. Like he has some of that too. And so I looked at the playoffs last year. He was still the second most efficient running back, or I'm sorry, he was the most efficient running back in two out of the three playoff games, even the Super Bowl. When he, they didn't go to him a whole lot. Well, guess what? You know, uh, they just didn't do a good job coaching that game. Guess what? They scored three points. It's not because of Todd Gurley. It's because of coaching. And he had a 16 yard run in that game. How did he do that with one leg and there's defenders trying to tackle him? Because he's still going to be okay, everybody. Take a deep breath. This, you know, the, the world's not ending. Todd Gurley's going to be a good player. Now, the thing is, is how many more touches or, or how, how uh, you know, how are they going to handle the workload? He's not a guy that's had 350, 400 touches. That's the thing. I mean, even last year, it was right around 300. Before that, it was, you know, 320, somewhere in there. If it goes to 250, he's still an RB1. And he gets a lot of touchdowns by the goal line. Score, well, scoring touchdowns by the goal line. He still catches the ball. And I do really like Darrell Henderson. I think that's a guy you invest in. But I think that's because the Rams are likely going to put him in the slot. Throw to him more. You know, two backs worked for them as well. It's a good running back offense. But Todd Gurley's not like... I know people, they don't want to touch Gurley. And I'm like, he's 24. Like, what? He's not dead, and he's not the only running back that deals with this. Oh, yeah. And to your point, Nick, about efficiency, Todd Gurley's averaging 26 fantasy points per game over the last couple seasons in PPR. That's almost two full points per game more than the number two guy, which is Saquon Barkley. You you take away 20% of Gurley's production. Now, I think his touchdowns are going to stay the same. So you just take away 20% of his yards, and he's still averaging 23 points per per game in fantasy which would still be the rb3 and if you do want to take away his touchdowns which again i don't think you do because even if he's not touching it as much in the rest of the field he's going to dominate the red zone but let's just take away 20 percent of his overall fantasy points over the last two years he still averages 21 a game which is still the rb6 you take away 20 percent of todd Gurley's fantasy points and he's still producing higher than he's now being drafted uh, people are underestimating just how good Todd Gurley is, just how good this offense is. I am all over getting Todd Gurley right now. Yep, and and I've been kind of saying, you know, even on that last episode that we did, Okada, two weeks ago, we talked about him, and, I, and you said buy, and I said sell at his current ADP. I guarantee you, come July and come August, I'm going to be flipping the script 100% because if he falls outside of the top 10 running backs in Dynasty, that is absolutely uh, ridiculous. And I think I agree with you guys 100%. You need to go out and buy him. And in redraft, he is going to be a steal in the second round. Uh, Guarantee you he falls to that point come August with each little quote-unquote blurb of news that comes out. So. So, so Nick, one guy ahead. told me one guy told me that he was available in the third round of a Superflex draft. Wow. And we're like, draft him. He's like, no, you know, he's a depreciating asset. Well, everybody but Barkley at running backs depreciating. And the thing that I don't get, too, is you want to compare him to other running backs. You're going to go gamble on Dalvin Cook, that he's finally going to be healthy. Three shoulder surgeries and an ACL and hamstring injuries. And he's never done it. Like, you have to gamble somewhere. You know what I mean? And 
Gamble yep. with a guy that's been the best running back in fantasy in our recent memory. And also, also in the playoffs last year, he definitely had a 35-yard run, too, on one leg. So I don't know how he can do it. I mean, he must balance really well hopping. He's got, he's got that elite balance for sure. <laughs> oh, man. All right, fellas, let's kick it off to the last thing, and then we'll get into some of the rookie content that we're, we're bringing to the show here. Uh, Philip Lindsay is expected to be ready for training camp, um, which I think is great news. He's coming off of that wrist surgery, which he had to uh, repair some ligaments and to stabilize a fracture there in the wrist. Um, I've been kind of explaining to people it's relatively similar recovery as to what David Johnson faced a few years ago. So for me, I'm I'm not concerned about his ability to stay healthy all season this is kind of one of those you know one and done injuries it doesn't tend to recur kind of like hamstrings um but when you look at that backfield there's another guy there that um i think people are forgetting about and that's royce freeman so uh, okada how do you see this backfield shaping shaping out here and do you like Lindsay at his current price or do you prefer freeman who is much much cheaper uh well first of all i i will say it's tough to project this backfield um, heading into 2019 because of last year, the way things went with Royce Freeman's earlier injuries, I don't think we got to see exactly what the Broncos might have wanted to do with both guys. And so we saw a lot of uh, Philip Lindsay, the undrafted guy, dominating and not too much of Royce Freeman, who they invested a high third round pick in. Um, but he Royce Freeman did look good towards the end of the year when Lindsay then got hurt. And I think that they kind of want to use these guys in an Ingram Kamara sort of way. You know, a little uh, boom, uh, boom zing sort of <laughs> combo. Um, oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but circling back to your original question, which was, which one do I want at their current price? For me, the answer is easily Freeman there. Uh, Lindsay's going right at the beginning of the sixth round. Royce Freeman's not going until three rounds later. And since I see a little bit less of a gap production-wise, I'd much rather take the discount with Freeman. Yeah, I like that take as well. I think that's a good call there. Um, let's go ahead and kick it over to the next segment here. We'll kind of try to speed some of the stuff up here. We're, we're running a little long on time uh, as far as our intro is, is kind of concerned. But, you know, we brought Nick on because he scouts rookies like you would not believe. Uh, that's what this guy does, and he's very good at it. So, uh, Nick, you released your post-draft rookie rankings on Fanium.com. So for all of you out there listening that want to find those, go ahead and check those out there. Um, and what I did here is kind of break down the consensus for rookie rankings on Fantasy Pros, the expert consensus ranking, and compared them to Nick. So the first guy that we're going to talk about here, Nick, is A.J. Brown, someone that you still like a lot despite the landing spot. You have him at three. The consensus ranking is at six. Tell us why you're still really, really high on A.J. Brown. Uh, he's a good football player. <laughs> Enough said. Oh, you want more of that? Um, <laughs> um, I mean, honestly... I don't like this draft class. I, I actually don't love anybody in this draft class. And um, I remember putting this on Twitter. I said, if if you take the first five draft picks and then we started ranking guys at 106, I would feel so much better. Like any pick up there is tough. And I don't, I don't like anybody. And I'm a Bears fan. And we're going to talk about David Montgomery and how much I don't like him either. Like I just don't like any of them. And so for me, because I don't like any of them, I don't love any of their landing spots either. Um, I think that's very, very false right now. People want to just imagine that this role is just going to like appear for some of these players. I go back to talent and I go back to what I saw in film and I go back to 
what I think these players can do over a long period of time. Again, landing spots change. This is one year. We're talking about dynasty. I mean, come on. These guys are 21, 22, 23. And so A.J. Brown is a great player. He's versatile. He's physical. He runs good routes. He's got great hands. After the reception, he's really good. And yes, Tennessee's not good. But guess what? Mariota is a free agent after the year. And I love Corey Davis, as people know. But I think both of them can work in that offense because everyone wants to hang their hat on Delaney Walker, who's 35-36 coming off of an injury. And there's no great pass catching back in that offense. Deion Lewis is up there. Is he going to stay healthy? Derrick Henry can catch. He's not amazing at it. And so there's two guys that can eat. And so, and that's even talking this year. And so, yeah, he's, he's my number three just because I don't believe in everybody else. And I think that's, Brown has a high floor. And when I don't trust a lot of other stuff, I'm going to trust the talent on the floor. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a great kind of way to put it. You know, you you're drafting Brown for his talent and the understanding that the the landing spot doesn't lock him into certain role or anything like that. And uh, you know, one thing that I've kind of heard out there is, you know, they might move on from Mariota. So even if Mariota doesn't do great this year, there could be a new quarterback there in town next year. And, you know, even if that doesn't happen, Mariota could easily bounce back from how bad it was last year. I mean, he was ravaged by injury. So uh, that's kind of one thing I've heard there. Okada, what are your thoughts there on A.J. Brown with uh, with Tennessee? Uh, well, first of all, I think it's interesting how uh, Nick kind of holds a similar viewpoint that Travis May did when he came on our show um, and had a similar take on A.J. Brown. They both come from a, a sort of wash the tape and get to know the player background. And so even when the landing spot's not great, they kind of stick to the guns on this guy's got talent. I want to invest in the talent, which I can respect. Um, on the flip side, I really do not like the quarterback situation. Uh, and I like to have my wide receivers tied to a good quarterback. Now, what kind of might work best is if Mariota just doesn't play and Ryan Tannehill does instead because he has supported an extremely productive PPR fantasy receiver in Jarvis Landry multiple times. And A.J. Brown could absolutely have that kind of production and upside if, you know, he were to get peppered with targets. But Tannehill and Mariota aside, I think there's a decent chance this team reinvests through the draft next year, which, of course, then means they got a rookie quarterback. Probably not also ideal for A.J. Brown, although the class should be really good, certainly much better than this one next year. So there's a lot of question marks surrounding A.J. Brown. I don't hate him at this spot. Um, I don't necessarily love him at this spot. But he's worth drafting sometime in the first round. Awesome. All right, fellas, let's go ahead and kick it over to the next guy here. Uh, we're going to talk about the tight end position. TJ Hawkinson, I think, is largely consensus the top tight end in this draft class. Nick, you've got him at four. The consensus ranking has him at seven. So you're a little bit higher on Hawkinson. Tell us why uh, you have him a little bit higher than everyone else does. Uh, one, I can't see Hawkinson busting. I just can't. He's just so good at everything that he does. I don't know that he's going to be... Kelsey level, Gronk level, but I can't see him being worse than, and honestly, in a dynasty, tight end eight. I can't see him being worse than that. You know, not this year, because tight ends take a little bit of time, but moving forward. And plus, he's such a good blocker. He's going to be on the field for a lot more snaps. And when you look at landing spot in Detroit, which I know we don't want to look at landing spots a whole lot, Galladay's, you know, a good player. I mean, and then Marvin Jones. I mean, there's not a lot of guys getting a ton of you know, targets there. So there's targets to be had, but this goes back again to this class. And so when you, I want to look at, you know, the consensus, right? A lot of people have like Miles Sanders and Jacobs and Montgomery. You want to look at like, where do you project them in their position group? I don't project any of those guys as an RB1. 
really tough for me to project him as a high-end RB2. Who do I project Hawkinson as? A top eight dynasty tight end. Okay, I'll get that guy, pencil him as my tight end, and I'll worry about running back stuff later. So instead of me being position dependent and, and, oh, I really need, you know, value or I need, get a good player. Then worry about the rest later. You know what I mean? And he's going to be a good player for a while. Yeah, I 100% agree there. I think that it's a, it can be a pitfall coming into rookie drafts for people to say, oh boy, I have a hole at running back. Uh, I really need an RB2. So here in the middle of the first round, ah, i got to skip over Hawkinson and reach for a running back. And that's not the right strategy. In Dynasty, you want to uh, wanna collect assets. You want to have capital to work with. And if you end up with two top eight tight ends, that's great. That gives you insane capital to work with. They are extremely valuable. They do not come around very often. This is a top-drafted tight end in Hawkinson. So I'm 100% on board um, with taking him here. I, I do not want to be that guy who says, oh, boy, I think I'm going to reach for Justice Hill here in the first round. And sometime later in my draft, I'll, you know, find my way to Drew Sample or something <laughs> like that and uh, lose out on all, all that value. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's go ahead and kick off to the next guy. We'll get to the wide receiver position here again. Um, this guy was, I believe, Nick, correct me if I'm wrong, your top receiver going into the draft. Is that right? Correct. Correct. All right. And Okada, you like this guy a lot. Yes. So we're all we're all uh, in agreement here on this. Um, but he fell in the NFL draft. This is Akeem Butler. Fell to the fourth round, obviously now with the Arizona Cardinals. Nick, you've got him at eight. The consensus ranking is in the middle of the second round at 16 overall. You seem to still be pretty confident, or I should say, based off what you said before, relatively confident in Hakeem Butler. Uh, what do you still like about Butler, and how does he fit there in Arizona? Well, I mean, I know people, you know, the draft happened. And being the first pick in day three says something to me. That says the rest of the league someone who's trying to jump up their form or Arizona's like, we cannot pass on this guy anymore, which means he's not really a fourth round pick everybody, you know, like people get those in their heads and it's not whatever. But then you look at Arizona. Okay. Look at the situation. I am a huge Kyler Murray fan. I think he's going to be fantastic. Okay. Nick, please don't say anything about Kyler Murray. Okada will just not stop talking. (laughs) And so, you know, he's going to really facilitate that offense. And I'm also not a big Christian Kirk fan. And so I am investing heavily in Isabella and Butler, and I'm not as high in Isabella, although I um, I like his game. By the way, I am so proud of my comp for him. A lot of people don't know, but I think he is a clone of Don Beebe. If people remember Don Beebe, he's got like those tight hips and super fast. It's just like such a clone. But anyway, if you want to look at the 90s, go look at Don Beebe. That is Andy Isabella. Anyway, um, but with Butler... They don't have a tight end there. That's very good. So he's the guy that can get a lot of those red zone, you know, jump ball situations. Think of buying time, right? Oh, look, there's Butler. And he's good after the catch. He's a giant. Like, did you see him measure the comment? He's a giant, a good athlete. Yes, does he drop some balls? Sure. But guess what? None of these receivers are great that I like in this class. And so if I'm going to gamble, I'm going to gamble on a guy with really good um, size, athletic ability after the catch. I think he runs, he has good effort. That's something with big guys you don't see all the time. Remember that with DGB, terrible effort. I want to have a guy with a lot of effort. And when he continually has that effort with the guy that can buy time, I see a good match. And so if it's, you know, middle, late of the first round and that guy's sitting out there, again, go on that talent. All right, Okada, here's your chance. 
Oh, thank you, Betts. Well, first of all, let me say, I have not interacted with Nick uh, as much as you have. So, you know, coming to this podcast, I didn't really know what to expect. Uh, is this guy going to be insane? <laughs> Are we going to be able to get along? And uh, uh, yes, we can be best friends now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I also had Butler as my number one wide receiver coming into the draft. So we know uh, Nick is smart. Um, <laughs> and I love the landing spot with Kyler. Listen, Betts. Would you like to take a guess at who has uh, Hakeem Butler ranked eighth in his rookie rankings on RetrosFantasyFootball.com? Uh, I'm going to take a wild guess and say you. You're darn right it's me. <laughs> I mean, Nick hit on all the scouting points of why Hakeem Butler should be valued where Nick is valuing him and not where consensus is valuing. He is an extremely good wide receiver, explosive and athletic and fast and big. He's going to be a red zone monster. He's not going to challenge Fitz this year for reception leader on this team. But I think there's every chance that he challenges everyone on that team for touchdown lead and is quickly a wide receiver one in this offense. Okada, I think you've officially woken up this morning. Is that fair to say? Woo-wee, bet. You best <laughs> believe it. Kyler Murray talk always wakes me up any morning. Awesome. <laughs> I, I wish people could see the video. So like, you know, we're doing this on video, we can see each other, and I'm talking, and he's going crazy in the background. You know what I mean? I'm like, okay, this is a good take I have. He likes. Oh, all right, fellas. Let's go ahead and move on to, to someone else here before Okada gets too excited. Uh, we're going to go ahead and talk about Marquise Brown. Uh, of course, now with the Baltimore Ravens. Nick, this is a guy that you're lower on compared to consensus. Everyone else out there seems to think he's still a top 10 option in rookie drafts. He's going at number 9 right now for rankings. You've got him at 19, so quite a bit lower. Uh, why are you off of Marquise Brown relative to consensus? I don't like Lamar Jackson. I, I just don't. I um, And, you know, I... I like Kyler Murray. So right there, you can't say I don't like running quarterbacks or something like that. I think Lamar Jackson is just not a good passer. And so when you have a guy that's there at least three more years, maybe four if they get that, you know, that option year with a guy that's more of a deep threat than anything else, Lamar Jackson's deep ball accuracy is not good. I don't care. You can look up the stats and play action, this or that. Of course, play action is going to be better when you run the ball as a quarterback like 150 times. But long term, this whole strategy thing, I don't see him holding up Lamar Jackson. His feet aren't good. His accuracy isn't good. And for those deep shots, I just don't see him being consistent enough to be a fantasy asset. I would rather invest in Miles Boykin, honestly, um, who I liked more in a film than I thought I did. This isn't me not liking Marquise Brown. I do. But if I have to wait for four years on a guy, I'm going to pass in the draft. I mean, yeah, absolutely. And the, the unique thing about Marquise Brown as opposed to A.J. Brown, we talked about earlier with this awful quarterback situation, is that this guy, Lamar, doesn't look like he's getting replaced anytime soon. Because when he took over as a starter for Joe Flacco, he was dominant. The team was dominant. He didn't have to be a great passer. They were winning football games. So if that continues, Marquise Brown is going to be much more stuck with his terrible passer than A.J. is. And it also might affect him more because, you know, he's a downfield threat. He's going to need somebody to put the ball on him uh, with a difficult throw that so far we have not seen Lamar Jackson make. So I liked Marquise Brown coming in to a degree, but this is about as bad of a spot for his particular talent set as I could have picked. So I have him down at rookie rank 15. So I 100% agree that he's being overdrafted. And we haven't even touched on bets. I'm sure you will. The, uh, the foot injury and what that could mean in the short term for Brown. Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll touch on that real quick, and then we'll kind of move to the last rookie. You know, the, the injury that you're referencing is obviously that Liz Frank injury that, you know, at this point is well-established. Everyone's aware of. Um, I think 
going into the season, he's going to struggle and start slow. Uh, research across the board states that after this type of surgery. So um, you combine that with the fact that he is going to be in a low volume type of role. And truthfully, I don't know what you really can expect from Brown. Of course, everyone likes the speed and the talent and all that sort of stuff. But when it comes down to it, Injury um, performance is going to be worse compared to what he was doing in college. The volume won't be there the way that it was in college. So I say, you know, for Brown, it, it doesn't really make sense to draft him at his current ADP because you're never going to get that. So um, if he's a guy that you like, wait on him and trade for him next year because I can almost guarantee you he's going to be way cheaper. And from that perspective, from injury, uh, I'm not as concerned about him long term. I just think year one is going to be very slow. Let's go ahead and kind of move over here to the last uh, rookie on the list here. Nick, you referenced him earlier. David Montgomery is a guy who, even in redraft, is getting a ton of buzz with this landing spot in Chicago, who you're a fan of, but you're not a fan of the player relative to his consensus ranking here at three. You've got him at 11. Sorry, this one's going to take a little bit of a story, but so I'm a diehard Bears fan every year. I live in Wisconsin. I have to be diehard to survive here with two Hall of Fame quarterbacks back to back with the the team from the north. So, yeah, it's, it hasn't been happy. Um, so, me and my dad, it's one of our things. We watch the draft every year. I, I love the draft. That's what kind of got me into all, all this stuff. We used to have card tables out and all of our guides and our mocks and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, this year, you know, I like the Bears first round pick. You know, I'll, I'll take Kilo Mack. And so, uh, we didn't watch it together. And he came, <laughs> you know, he came and, and my mom came because, you know, she chatted with my girlfriend kind of during the draft. And so... The Bears picks coming up, right? I wanted Darrell Henderson so bad. We moved on from Jordan Howard because with the offense was predictable when Howard came in the game. So you want to have someone that's dynamic that can kind of do everything. Okay, Henderson fits that. The Rams take him. I'm like, ah. Oh. So the Bears are on the board. They trade up. And I and I looked at my dad and I said, I don't care who it is. I just don't want David Montgomery. Okay? <laughs> because part of me is like, if you don't take a running back this year, you wait, and then you can get one of the great running backs of next year, right? Who can all catch the ball, too. And they take Dave Montgomery, and my mother's right there, and I swear I wasn't happy about it. But, you know, <laughs> I, because because on film, I didn't like David Montgomery. And to me, he's a Jordan Howard that can catch the ball. And that's, that's, that's not dynamic. That's not really going to change the offense, which is what they want to do. They want to, you know, create – guys that can be these chess pieces and you don't really know what we're going to do all the time. Montgomery, people want to talk about how many people he makes miss. It's because that's all he does. He, his vision isn't good. He doesn't set up blockers well. He runs into pressure. He doesn't learn how to press a hole and cut back. He bounces outside too much. Yes, he has good contact balance. Yes, he's tough. I'm going to root for him because I'm a Bears fan, but my goodness, I just don't like the pick at all. And then when you want to look at fantasy, what Chicago does, they don't hone in on one guy. They, they try and use everybody. That's why Taylor Gabriel is going to have a good game. And that's going to be Burton. That's going to be Robinson and Cohen. Cohen is the best person in that offense. And so if, if you think, oh, because Montgomery can catch the ball some, we're going to go away from, you know, uh, Cohen and his receptions. That's not going away at all. And they like Mike Davis some too. So I don't think that's what's going to happen. And all these touches, they think Montgomery's going to get. Howard had a bunch last year and he was a low end RB2, I believe. And so if you think he's going to be, you know, you're talking redraft there, bets. If you think he's going to be this high end guy with all these touches, you are in for a big, big awakening because even at the goal line, Trubisky can run. So 
I don't, you can't count on a ton of production from Montgomery. And again, people, he's a third round pick running back. Like he's, oh, he's not a first round guy. Like you can't imagine this is like for the Darwin Thompson truthers out there. He's a sixth round pick. Oh. Like, what are you doing? Like, they're not, you to be fantasy productive, you have to be a stud. Montgomery's not a stud. Yeah, Nick, I'm sorry that your draft experience didn't go the way that you had, you had hoped it would, especially with how excited you were for it. Oh. Um, and I don't like Riley Ridley either. And they got Riley Ridley. It's like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. Yeah, not a good draft for you. Um, no. Okada, you seem to be a little bit more excited about Montgomery. Um, then Nick, do you think the volume will be there? Nick doesn't seem to think so. What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, I would be curious, first of all, Nick, whether you still have Montgomery as your RB3 behind Sanders and Jacobs. Uh, I think he was still my RB3, if I remember right. I, I can't remember right now. I don't have my rankings up. I apologize. I mean, he's he's in there, but they're all just a lot lower. And honestly, you know, Henderson's really close because I really like Henderson. He might be my three or four. Yeah, okay, so... What's interesting is the running back ranks probably don't differ too much. The difference here is I think Nick's got probably a lot of other receivers and tight ends ahead of Montgomery, uh, which pushes him down to 11. For me, and we've talked about it a little bit on previous pods, I think the opportunity for Montgomery is really, really solid. I think that, I mean, even to Nick's point of him being a Jordan Howard who can catch, Jordan Howard, like we've talked about, was a low-end running back too. So if you add a few catches to that... I don't see how Montgomery's not also a low-end RB2, um, which typically you would not want to be, you know, drafting a top-five rookie draft and expecting a low-end RB2, but this class is just so bad. I think that's kind of what what we have to, you know, settle for here. So I believe Montgomery's going to get the touches and will be good enough with them to produce a decent return on this kind of investment. I draft him a little bit higher than where Nick has him. Yeah, I, I did have him at three. Sorry. And either way, Nick's going to be rooting for him because he's a Bears fan. Okada's going to be rooting for him because he likes him a little bit more in fantasy. Uh, I tend to lean a little bit more uh, with Okada here. I think the landing spot isn't as terrible as some people might think. I do think, you know, he's going to be probably a back-end RB2, which is what Jordan Howard was. So if you're drafting him with that understanding, fine, but don't draft him with the understanding of, oh my gosh, I'm getting a top 12 back because that's not going to happen. So I think we can all all agree on that. Um, Okada, let's go ahead and kick it over to the next segment. What were you doing? Sneak. Fine. Have it your own way. Am I the only one that doesn't know what that was? <laughs> Come on, Bets. What was that? It's uh, Gollum from Lord of the Rings. Oh, uh, I'm not a big Lord of the Rings fan, that's why. Yeah, well, the important thing is he was sneaking. Yes, very sneaky, which is which is the topic here. Sorry I wasn't more in tune with that. Uh, <laughs> so, Nick, on Fanium.com, you just put out a, a new article which is basically showcasing how to win at the running back position in fantasy the sneaky way, which which Okada was referencing with that drop. Um, so give us a little bit of a rundown on the background of what that article is all about. Yeah, so, I mean, I know the running back position has made a huge comeback, you know, and people, you know, we you know Barkley and Gurley, who we already touched on, and Kamara, et cetera. I mean, and, and those guys are great, and they're winning people titles. And if you can invest in them, you know, you're, you're good to go. But, you know, there's all the zero running back theory guys. And even in Dynasty, you need those support players for bye weeks or injuries or flex, et cetera. And so I was looking at, and this kind of goes around Tariq Cohen. And so I was looking at one of my leagues and Cohen finished um, in the, depends on your league and your format, but RB 11, 12, 13 last year. And 
we were just talking about how many carries Howard had. It's like, man, that's a pretty good finish. And, you know, so you look and James White had a pretty good finish last year. And the year before that, Duke Johnson had a good finish. And, you know, you keep kind of going about that. And it's like, these guys aren't full-time guys. So how are they doing that? And I wanted to look at, and again, I'm not a numbers guy. I'm a film guy. But I wanted to look at how much PPR or receptions really affects things. And so I kind of looked at the last just couple of years and how guys that catch the ball, even your studs, jump up. It's not your rushing yards. That's not what gives you those fantasy results. It's receptions. And so like you want to look at like Leonard Fournette. He gets hindered by his receptions. And you want to look at the guys that get the bump, even Kareem Hunt before he had that happen, Melvin Gordon. They get huge bumps in ranks and points per game based on receptions. And so it kind of led me to, and McCaffrey, how can I forget McCaffrey? You know, he has all those receptions. And so it led me to who are the guys that you should probably invest in and buy cheaply. And I actually literally just did this. Uh, the deal went through yesterday. So I have, I have a league where I'm really stacked at running back. And I moved on from Mark Andrews, uh, Byron Pringle, which we just talked about, um, Greg Dortch, who I'm a fan of, and uh, kind of a mid-first Debbie pick for Tariq Cohen and Austin Hooper because I wanted the support of a guy that can be a fringe low-end RB1, RB2 for a super cheap price. Um, and and I, have, I have a list of a bunch of guys that can kind of help that way. Yeah, I think uh, I think the Cohen you know, discussion there, we can probably kind of move on from because it, it is pretty self-explanatory. Everyone's hyped about David Montgomery and Cohen is still the constant there. And the way he catches the ball will keep him very relevant for fantasy. So I like that pick a lot. Um, one other guy that you list in the article here is Kenyon Drake. Let's talk about him for a little bit. Um, how is Kenyon Drake uh, a value this year? Well, he, he just keeps catching the football and there's no main guy there. You know, he, he had 32 and 53 reception seasons the last two years. He's still 25 years old. And so, again, you're not going to trade for Drake and expect RB1 numbers, but you're also not going to give up a ton of capital. Like there's people like, ah, he's nothing. You know, it's similar like to, to James White we talked about. And so, and, and I'm a big fan of, of Damian Williams. All those guys catch the ball and you can, you can get them as your RB2, RB3 for very cheap. So you kind of want to, I, I'm looking at opportunity, but for sure that floor of receptions and those guys have that. Yeah. And you talked about the, you know, the floor with that receptions. Okada, what are your thoughts on, on Drake here aside from catching the football? Do you think his workload will even increase this year with Adam Gase out of town? Yep. Absolutely. Bets. I don't think there's a way that it doesn't. I mean, first of all, I've officially decided Adam Gase is the worst head coach in the NFL. <laughs> Just putting um, it out there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, his personnel decisions in recent years, Drake being a perfect example, have already been terrible. Uh, but I also happen to, we have a new partner we're working with at the NFL Network who does uh, decision evaluation in like critical moments. And uh, let's just say that from a on-the-field decision standpoint, Adam Gase was not in the top 31 coaches, to uh, to put it as nicely as I can. But, so, I mean, circling back to Drake, I 100% believe that his production will go up on both in both facets of the game, receiving and rushing the ball. Uh, Frank Gore is gone. There's no way he doesn't get an uptick in carries. And he was really, really good with those carries last year, by the way. Very efficient. He forced a top five missed tackle rate in the entire NFL last season, if I'm not mistaken, which I'm not. But <laughs> Which I'm not. <laughs> uh, definitely not. But also, I think really quick to Nick's point, when you're in a PPR league, I think that the temptation can be to just say, oh, I get those catches, and they give me an extra point. That's nice. 
But it's not just that. You also get the yards on those catches, and the yards on receptions are a lot better for running backs than the, than the yards on rushes. We're talking literally double. Not to mention the touchdowns you get uh, on receptions. James White was a great example of that last year. But, I mean, when, so when you're looking at a guy who gets 60 to 70 catches, that's 120 to 140 rush attempts equivalent just from a yardage standpoint. So, yeah, the fantasy value is huge with these guys. Yeah, it's it's a very big deal. And, and you know, I think in the last couple of years, we've seen the value of a reception for running back. I think we understand it a little bit better. It is much more valuable, like you were talking about there, Okada. And in today's fantasy game, you know, I don't know many people still playing in standard leagues. So receptions are king when it comes to fantasy at this point in the game. Um, it is not 1995 anymore, unfortunately, uh, for the running back. Those backs, are some so. good years, man. Those, Those are, are good no, years. Running back, running back, get get LJ, yep. you know, go get, you know, Priest Holmes and, you know, well, yep. Gore, but he's still around. The, the, <laughs> the other two guys I just want to touch on quickly was I don't think people realize that Kyrion Johnson caught as many receptions as he did. I mean, Theo Riddick is the, is the pass catching back there. I mean, and, and Johnson missed some games. He was on pace for 51 receptions as a rookie, and that's with a pass catching back there. So even 51 receptions, huge floor, and he's young. And Naheem Hines, so you, you got Mac, right? Mac's the guy. He had 63 receptions, and he was a, almost an RB2. He was running back 28. I mean, he catches the ball well. He's a former receiver. So, again, you can get Naheem Hines for, like, nothing, and all of a sudden, boom, possible flex play, injury fill-in, and you're going to get a floor. Yeah, Naheem Hines is a guy that I think is, he's an afterthought at this point. And um, if you've ever listened to the show before, uh, you all know that we are big-time Marlon Mack supporters, uh, especially with the way that they treated him this offseason and not really bringing in much competition. But we've kind of neglected, and maybe we shouldn't have, Naheem Hines because they didn't really bring in anything else to challenge him there as far as his his role in the offense. I don't think it'll change at all. Okada, you were super high on Hines last year as a value, um, and I think he's even more of a value this year. So I agree. I love that that take. And I think going out and acquiring him for super cheap is an excellent strategy. All right, fellas, let's go ahead and kick it off here to the last segment um, for the episode here. You also put out a recent article, uh, Nick on Fanium, which is less of a you know an analysis type of role, more kind of looking at just ways to make your fantasy football league better in the offseason. And let's be honest, we play this game because... A, we're nerds and we love football so much, but B, because it's so much fun to play fantasy football. So if you're you're in a league that isn't really, you know, what you want it to be, there's ways you can change it. And, and Nick pr- provides some good ways to do that. So because of time constraints here, there's there's five ideas. Check them out on Fanium. But uh, Nick, go ahead and give us your two favorites and, and kind of how to implement those into your league. Yeah, and, and I think there's some kind of um, archaic caveman thinking behind how leagues are formed and you need to think about you know uh what what can you control as a team owner you can control who you start and how many points you can score and that's it and that's why there's so many things i think that like just don't matter like uh what division were you in and you know like you don't have any control over your opponent so i think like your the points that you score should matter and and so with that i think that playoff spots, at least some should be determined by who scores the most points. Like, okay, these guys win their division or their win-loss record, whatever. Save some spots for the teams that scored the most points because those are the best teams. You know, it's, it's not the luck of the draw or who had a good week, who had a bad week. You know, if you scored a bunch of points, you should be in the playoffs. And I also think that you should reseed based on who has the most points scored because, again, that's 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 strength. That's the best teams. 
The other one I think is going to be a little bit more of a dicey one. I have to bring this one up for fun. Is I think that people should allow tanking. And I know it's like, oh my gosh, the integrity of the league and all that kind of stuff. Think about this, okay? If if you if a team wants to lose on purpose, why do you have an issue with it? You, you shouldn't. You're like, thanks for the win, right? The, the only people that have an issue with it, okay? You know, like, I know colluding. Like, that's, you know, you don't want to, like, cheat and, like, make teams better. And, like, that's not it. But people, like, go around it. Like, you can tank legally by, like, cutting the guys that score points or trading away your good players. Like, it's still tanking. Just let them do it, you know, so you can keep the players and not have to trade them away. But the teams that care about it are the teams that are playoff teams that want you, a bad team, or, you know, whatever bad team in the league, to sneak a win, right? Oh, oh, they beat that team. Oh, look, I'm going to get that wild card spot. Is it in the best interest of that team to win? It's not. So let them tank. Like, it's selfish of you. You're like, you know, it's like making someone that has no money on the street. Oh, you have to have, you have to buy this good. Uh, what if I don't want to? You have to, no matter what. And it's good because you own the store. You know, like, what are you doing? Like, it's not good for the league. It's not good. If that team wants to lose because they think in my best interest, I should get a higher pick, let them do that. They paid the money, probably if it's a paid league. You know, that's how they see to run their, their league or their team, you know, because it's your own team. You should be able to run how you want. Not, I have to, like, get a win that I don't want. And now all of a sudden, I don't get Saquon Barkley because like, I don't think that's fair. So, I know it's out there, but really think about the purpose of your league. Your league should get the best teams in the playoffs and let people run the team how they should and not get sneaky wins that's really going to hurt them. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it is hot takey to agree with you, Nick, but I 100% do. I think that you should allow tanking pretty much in max form. Listen, it, it happens in some form anyways, but in most leagues where there's some kind of awkward rules about, oh, you must start your best players, then it just means you have to weirdly police what's going on with every team uh, to make sure that that sort of tanking doesn't happen. So just let the teams do what they need to do to either win the championship that year or to set themselves up to win a championship in a future year. And if that means some quote-unquote free wins for a couple teams, that's what happens when you got some bad teams in your league. It's not a big deal. And, and the other part of that too is, how hard is that as a commish? You're the commissioner and you have to police that? Or you have to be like, well, I don't think that trade is good because like, just take, take it away from the, the commissioner. It's already a thankless job. Take it off their hands. Just, okay, nope, this is what we're going to do. That way I don't have to put in these weird rules or potential points, which there's a ways around that too. Just let it go. Yeah, it, it would take a lot of stress off of commissioners. I definitely agree with that. And, you know, one of the things that I think about tanking is, um, Sometimes it's not really tanking because some people get mad at people for trading away their studs for picks and, you know, they're submitting a lineup with like, I don't even know, players that are just not not good at fantasy football. But they've got, you know, four first round picks the next year and then they've got three the next year. And that's that's how you do it in Dynasty. You can't be in the middle. You have to either be a contender or mail it in and say, listen, this is not my year. I'm going to keep one or two studs and trade the rest for picks. And if that's your definition of tanking, quote unquote, then you know, that needs to be looked at a lot differently because that's how you win in Dynasty. Uh, you have to be able to do that. So I think we're all on the same page there. Um, fellas, anything else for the people? Uh, well, I guess I should say that I've started my Kyler Murray article bet, so you better watch out. Oh, you better not cry. <laughs> I am excited for when that comes out. I'm sure we will talk about it for at least a half hour <laughs> when on the next podcast. Uh, Nick, go ahead and tell us one more time where we can find your work, what you've got going on, and, and where we can find you on Twitter. 
Yeah. Um, let's see. What do I have going on? Uh, I'm going to go run up a ski hill after this. So that's if people want to find me, that's where I'll be. Um, no snow, right? No no snow. Yeah, of course. And it's going to be hotter, but not as hot as California by you there. Um, yeah. So you can uh, follow all my work on Fanium. Uh, right now I'm grinding away on the Debbie report. So, you know, that's a big, big thing. And um, it's kind of fun, you know, to, to look at the next group of stars. Um, and all my stuff's going to be at Fanium. And then I always interact on Twitter, you know, just, just be kind, you know what I mean? Don't be, don't be a troll, uh, at underscore Nick Whalen there. And, uh, I try, I try to answer as many questions as I can, but you know, I'm just, I'm just one guy and I try to have a life too. So if I don't get to you, it's not on purpose. Yes, definitely. Don't forget the underscore. Otherwise, you're going to probably ask some other random Nick Whalen fantasy football <laughs> questions, and do, wait, maybe he'll do, know what he's talking about. Maybe not. <laughs> now, do, now, do you know that there's another Nick Whalen? Because I live, I live in Madison, in Madison, Wisconsin, and he's in uh, like Sirius XM, and he does like basketball, fantasy basketball. That's like, amazing. People all the time, like, I'm sorry, <laughs> like I don't know who he is. I probably should meet him someday. You probably should. Yeah, I uh, I can't confirm. He works for RotoWire, apparently. Yeah. And uh, he even kind of looks a little bit like our Nick Whalen. So I, for one, am already confused. I'm not even sure which one we're talking to right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. We just gave this guy so much publicity for free. Go go follow both Nick Whalens. Just do it. That way you can't be wrong. Um, last thing before we get out of here, guys. Okada, super exciting. We are doing another listener league this year. Let's go. It's going to be a redraft. It's going to be a redraft. Um, unfortunately, Kent won it last year somehow. Um, so he's going to be back in on the, uh, the listener league as he steps away from kind of doing the podcast with us, but he'll still be there. So if you want to interact with him, with Okada and with I and beat us at fantasy football, we're asking a couple of things. If you want to enter the league, just go ahead and leave us a rating interview, um, on your podcast app, wherever you listen, take a screenshot and tag us on Twitter at redshirtsffpod or join our Patreon and you're automatically entered. Um, for just a buck, you can enter and kind of interact with Okada and I, join our Slack channel. It's a ton of fun and we're always talking trades and strategy and all that kind of stuff. So those are the two ways to enter. We look forward to a fantastic season with you all. And until next time, we are the Red Shirts. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Red Shirts Fantasy Football Podcast. Hit us up on Twitter at RedShirtsFFPod and check out our website, RedShirtsFantasyFootball.com.